Alfredo Luján's official title may be assistant to the director at the Breadloaf campus in Santa Fe, but he is far more than that. Perched atop the campus in the Anderson Building, Alfredo fills the role of town crier, greeting students from his balcony to remind them of social events, to crack a joke, or to answer questions ranging from when the writing center opens to when the next day's dawn patrol hike will go. Alfredo is something of a historian of Breadloaf's program in writing and the Breadloaf Teacher Network, formerly the Breadloaf Rural Teacher Network, for which Alfredo was a founding consultant. In Thump Thump, Alfredo discusses and enacts the power of voice. For this inaugural feature of the Breadcast series, Alfredo resurrects the voice of Ken McCrory, a revered teacher of writing at the Breadloaf School of English, and in doing so, Alfredo reminds us to tune our ears, to listen with all our senses, for a style, tone, personality, and rhythm that work. In writing to be read, McCrory spells out the virtues of hearing writing via the spoken voice, reflecting on a seminar in which writers read their pieces aloud and listened carefully to the resonance of their words. Ken wrote, It was like getting wet with sounded meaning. In this piece, Alfredo takes us to the Nambe Pueblo and gets us dry and dusty with sounded and thumped meaning. As you listen to the piece, imagine Alfredo calling out to you from the balcony at the top of the Breadloaf Santa Fe campus inviting you to add your voice to our monthly podcast series. Listen at the end of this podcast for details of how you might contribute. Thump, thump. In 1967, there was no voice. No such thing. Not in writing, not in speaking, and not in reading aloud. Voice was only the thing that came out of my mouth. I was a 17-year-old, sitting silently in English 111 at Young Hall, New Mexico State University. I was slightly insecure but confident with the English stuff I had learned in high school, how to find the subject, predicate, and the sentence, how to diagram, how to identify the parts of speech. But John Hadsell, our professor, never went there. Instead, he asked us to read all the time and write all the time. One of our books was Writing Prose, Techniques and Purposes, a Literature Usage Anthology. We wrote essays, essay. One assignment was to write an argumentative paper. We had read Boxing with the Naked Eye, an essay from the Sweet Science in which A.J. Liebling asserts that watching boxing live is much better than watching it on TV. We were asked to agree or disagree with Liebling. I argued in favor of watching baseball on TV. I wrote, in the stadium, a loudmouth with a hot dog or a bag of popcorn in his hands could jump up right in front of you and block the view of a pinstriped Yankee sliding chest first into third base. Mr. Hatzel checked the passage and on the margin wrote, good concrete image, tone, and choice of words. This meant more to me than an A, B minus, C, whatever. It wasn't even good writing, perhaps. But finally, someone had recognized my words, even if they mimicked the authors. I had stumbled upon my writing voice, but I did not know it then. Voice in writing has been kicked around for a few decades, más o menos. In 1987, I participated in a Ken McCrory and Dixie Goswami workshop at the National Council of Teachers of English Conference in Los Angeles. More than 100 teachers were at the session. 
One skeptical college professor stood up and challenged Ken on the nebulous concept of voice in writing. Ken distilled the question and the answer to, quote, writing with authenticity, unquote. Voice is when the author recognizes in his or her prose or poetry a style, tone, personality, and rhythm that work. Ken said the writer must have an ear for detail. Similarly, in a letter to Gabriela, a young writer, author Pat Mora encourages young writers to listen with all of their senses. Listen to the wrinkles on your tia's face, she advises. Voice is the imprint of ourselves on our writing, says Donald Graves in writing teachers and children at work. Divorcing voice from process is like omitting salt from stew, love from sex, or sun from gardening. Teachers who attend to voice listen to the person in the piece and observe how that person uses process components. Students should feel free to express themselves, to choose their diction, to take risks in their writing. Writing without voice is breathing without rhythm, is speaking without body language, accent, dialect, or inflection. When the student writes, she or he is talking on paper. Inevitably, the writer engenders a rhetorical stamp, a linguistic habit that consists of spelling, diction, grammatical accidents, syntax, internal biographical evidence, psycholinguistic material, says Donald Foster. One's personal writing style produces unique, thoughtful prose or poetry that includes literal and figurative language, seriousness, analysis, and humor on paper. It's akin to Buzz Lightyear's falling with style, but this is writing with style. One of my first classes at the Breadloaf School of English was nonfiction prose, taught by Ken McCrory. We wrote and we re rewrote. Many of our first drafts were timed, stream-of-conscious free writes. The topics varied. The philosophy was simple. Writers learn to write by writing. Writers write to be read, and writers revise. Papers that were returned by Ken had no grade at the top, but they had plenty of feedback. This is good. Flesh this out. Include dialogue. Great image. Good ear. Your conclusion needs work. Don't explain, etc. Those comments reminded me of that first time in 67 in John Hatzel's class when I felt like a teacher had finally, truly read my paper. Ken McCrory published Yeast, a class magazine that was distributed at Breadloaf each summer. He'd select pieces that were written in his class and publish them with the author's permission. My first published piece in Yeast was the first piece I had published anywhere. It was about a learning experience I had had. One of my friends in seventh grade was Tony from Nambe Pueblo. We'd cut up in class with antics. We'd make each other laugh. We made other students laugh. We made teachers angry. We screwed around. On Nambe Pueblo feast day, October 4th, I went to watch the traditional dance at the Pueblo. Tony was dancing. I was in the crowd. As he danced past me, I tried to get his attention, but he wouldn't look up. 
I wanted to make him laugh like I did in language arts or math, but he was in a trance. The drums beat, the elders sang and chanted. Tony danced with purpose, heart. It wasn't until I viewed smoke signals many decades later that I realized what Tony was doing. He was being stoic. As Victor had advised Thomas in smoke signals, get stoic, you've got to look like a warrior. I had recognized that Tony was in his spiritual element, no antics allowed. What Ken liked about the piece was the rhythm and the coming of age of the narrator. This is authentic, he said. Tony wouldn't look up at me, I wrote in yeast. His moccasins pounded the dry earth with the beat of the drum, and he kicked up dust in the air. Thump, 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 thump. Good ear, Ken said. As a teacher of English, I tried to replicate Hadsel and McCrory's pedagogy. I comment on passages that seem unique to my student voices, and I hope the comments guide them through revisions and future papers. I also mark spelling, mechanics, and usage, of course, but the emphasis is placed on passages that stimulate the reader's senses. As for reading the written word, Ken, in writing to be read, writes, when I'm proofreading my own writing, I find more errors when reading aloud. When I flub a word in reading a writing aloud, often I find that this word was not well chosen. When I'm writing my best, I hear the words I'm putting down on paper. They sound in my head. Cheryl Glenn, professor at Penn State University and former director of Breadloaf Santa Fe says, you want to read slowly so that your audience can follow along. Reading too fast is rude and to the audience and disrespectful of the written word. If an author spent time crafting a sentence, the reader should spend time honoring that same sentence. I pace myself. January 6, 1912, New Mexico became a state. June 25, 1912, my aunt, Tia Teresita, was born. February 11, 2017, she died, 104 years old. She, therefore, was as old and as young as the land of enchantment. Fifty years after 1967, there is voice. A few years ago, I interviewed my wrinkled Tia Teresita. She was a natural storyteller. She didn't write the stories, but she told them with grace, intonation, rhythm, and style, exuding her knowledge and wisdom. When I put the microphone beside her that day, she asked what it was. I told her it would record her voice. ¿Esto que quieres? She asked. ¿Mi voz? Ooh, that's all you want? My voice? Ooh. Tune in next month for a taste of pears. Brent Peters will bring food literacy alive and aloud with Say Yes to Pears. If you have a piece of writing inspired by your connection to Breadloaf and the Breadloaf Teacher Network, and you'd like to share it aloud, send me, Tom McKenna, an email at tom underscore McKenna at breadnet.
www.middlebury.edu.